Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Dodger Dudes Show with former Dodger pitcher Brett Tomko and his Sandlot buddy Josh the Duker Luke. The Dodger Dudes talk Dodger baseball, Sandlot stories from their youth, and share what it's going to take for the Blue Crew to win the World Series. Don't forget to answer our weekly poll question and fan poll on Twitter and Facebook. The Dodger Dudes Show is part of the Believe Sports Network online at BLEAV.com. The Dodger Dudes believe in the Dodgers. Do you believe? Welcome to episode two of Believe in Dodgers with the Dodger Dudes, Brett Tomko and Josh Luke. I'm your co-host, Josh Luke. Here with my buddy of 30 years, Brett Tomko, former Major League player, former Dodger. And we're going to talk about a topic today that's very close to him because he went through this. And it's what the Dodgers are going through right now, which is debuting some rookie pitchers who are traditionally starters to potentially be on their playoff roster in the bullpen. And that can be challenging, can it, Brett? Yeah, it definitely can be challenging. You know, it's it's these guys were starters in the minor leagues, and, and it's, it's pretty much all they know. And so it's going to be a big adjustment, and they're going to have to go through some stuff you know, mentally and, and focus wise that, that really are, it's going to be challenging. Um, but you know, it's something that I think with the veteran guys are going to be able to to work through. Yeah. And and we're going to talk, it's a great point how they're going to have to rely on the veterans to get through this. So today's topics, we're going to talk about the Dodger playoff bullpen, who should be in it, what it looks like. Uh, there's two rookies, uh, uh, was pulled up in July, uh, his first start was a little rocky, but his second and third, man, he was very good. And then the night of the um, trade deadline, when the Dodgers were only able to pull uh, one lefty reliever from another team, um, and really there was not a lot of movement league-wide with pitchers, which is kind of the – everybody said that. The, the good uh, top three names weren't really going anywhere. So we heard about uh, Dustin May. Uh, some people might have heard of him as Ginger Guard. He's got all that big red hair. So um, – Hey, Brett, I know you got some stats in front of you. Tell us what uh, Dustin May's numbers are so far in the big leagues. Well, yeah, so far, you know, he's, he's, got, a, he's got a pretty strong ERA, 3.18. Um, his whip's very good, 1.32. You know, he's striking out one per inning um, and, and, and not walking many people. It's, it's, it's a very good start. Uh, I think it's a small sample right now, and it, it's, it's really hard to dissect and get into that and, and, and dive into that. But, you know, from what I've seen already um, – you know, he, he's, I think he's going to live up to, to, to the hype that's, that's around him already. It, you know, he's young, but they're, they're both young guys relatively to the game and you got to get your feet wet. You get in there, you come up, there's so much anticipation, uh, especially with the deadline. Like you said, the Dodgers didn't really do much and then they bring him up. So the, the whole focus was on him. I mean, it, all the social media stuff, the interviews, I mean, that's, that's a lot to handle for a, a young man coming up and, and just trying to break in. So, you know, he's handled himself real well from what I've seen. And, you know, time will tell, but, you know, it's going to be interesting. This, this last month and a half is, is going to be a good test and kind of show where the chips are going to fall. So he came up in August right after the deadline. The stats Brett shared are after two starts. Uh, Tony Gonsolin came up in July and, and is uh, – you know, his first start was a little rocky, but his second two, he looked very strong. The stats are very similar. Gotzelin's ERA is 3.21. He's got a whip of 0.86. He's striking about out about one per inning and a 13-to-1 
strikeout to walk ratio. You know what I love about these two guys, Brad, too, is uh, they got both they have good hair. Good hair, <laughs> yeah, they good hair. They're like they're easy nickname guys, right? You can give them plenty of nicknames. Right, right. So, guys, the topic we want to throw at you, and we're going to throw at you on social media this week, is is if only one of these three folks can make the playoff roster in the bullpen. When I say three, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, or Ross Stripling. If you had to pick one, if you were the GM, who are you going to pick? Because that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of here. And it's not to say, hey, one's better than the other, but strategically, um, what do you want to see if there's only a spot for one of those three guys? Because right now, let's be honest, Stripling may not make it back. There's no timetable on his return. Uh, Brett can share a little bit. He's got some sources sharing that with him. But um, Gonsolin and Mayer, are, they're pretty much trying out, and they're doing it in the dog days of summer during the stretch run for a first-place team. Brett, you went, you went through that uh, transition, not as a rookie, but you went through the transition of going from starter to reliever. So tell us, tell us what's going on in your head when that happens. Yeah, I went through that um, in Seattle, and it was when Seattle, and it was uh, 2000, 2001, when we were, we were one of the best teams in the American League. Um, you know, the one year we set the, we set the record. So, um, you know, being a starter your whole career, you, you, you become – a routine guy you you know when you're going to start stretching you know when you're going to go out in the field you know hey you know it's 625 I need to be doing this because I need this much time to long toss and play catch with the catcher and get to the bowl I mean you you have it down I had it down to the minute I knew if I started at 642 I was going to be ready by game time if it was a 705 game so as a starter you you almost become kind of like a prisoner to the routine and as a reliever, you know, I go into Seattle, I get put in the pen after uh, like a two-week stint on the DL. I come back, and it's a whole different ball game. You're, you're out there, and all of a sudden, there's a base hit, and there's a base hit, and the phone rings, and, you know, they say, hey, warm up. So it, it's a lot of its mindset. A lot of it's like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to be prepared in the bullpen to get ready that quick? A little bit, and it all, and it's all different between closers and eight inning guys and, and seven and long guys. And, and that's probably where they're going to fall as being a long guy. So they'll, they'll be a little bit more, they'll know the, what's going on in the game. If, if a guy in the early in the game kind of gets hit and you see he's getting bumped around a little bit, you start kind of moving your legs and getting ready. So it, it's going to be an adjustment, but it's, it's mostly mindset. So uh, Brett and I are taping this show on a Sunday afternoon. We got the Dodger game on in the background. I'm going to give you a live update. Are you ready? That was easy. First inning home run, Justin Turner, Dodgers up 2 nothing, And guess what happened when Belly came up next? That was easy. <laughs> 3 nothing Dodgers. Belly just hit another wow. home run. So it's fun to be doing this live. Second show, and we already have some, like, audio tricks. I like it. <laughs> so, uh, hey, guys, we're going to try to cover all the bases here. So, um, Dustin May's first game. Uh, when you looked afterwards at the score, Good score. I think you only gave up one run. But but when you looked at the hit line, there was 14 hits. So uh, I think that's a successful story. I mean, your job's to win. When you go out to pitch, your job's to win, right? Yeah, so. that's – I mean, hits to me – hits never really mattered to me, um, you know, because you could have games where it, it could be one or two big hits and it would cost you the game. So, I mean, if I scattered a hit per inning, I was okay with that. It's 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 when you started walking people and, and doing stuff like that where where you get in trouble – you know, to ha like I said, to handle that pressure, you're coming up in, in, in a huge, you know, pennant race, 
Dodgers are in first, you know, you're the big guy. There's a lot of talk about you. So to be able to contain all that and to compartmentalize that and really focus on what you're going to be doing to go out there and just give up a run. Uh, I mean, hats off to him. That's a, that's a great way to go out there and kind of make a splash into the game. And Brett, you told me how you grew as a player mentally. You think you know how to pitch. You probably think you know how to pitch when you get to college and you get to the minors and then you get to the majors. And so not only are these two rookies going through that, but a month and a half from now, they're going to be doing it on a global stage with the whole world watching where every pitch truly counts, not a cliche. Tell me about what that, that pressure is going to be. And you mentioned that the veterans have a big, bigger role on these younger guys in the postseason. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I think, I think when you talk about that, they have the luxury, I think, that the Dodgers are so far in front. And, and anything can happen, but – I mean, if we look on the paper, you know, they're way ahead. Um, so there's a little bit of wiggle room. It's not like they're, they're fighting for the wild card and, and all these games are big games. So, you know, they don't want to lose games. Nobody wants to lose games. But they can afford to put those guys out there in situations where if they do get bumped around a little bit, you know, they're going to have to learn because this game is a very humbling game. Um, I mean, I could give you 500 examples, and I'm sure some of you out there have seen it with with me you can be riding high you can be doing great and then the next start you can give up five six seven nine runs in a heartbeat so they're gonna take those bruises they're not gonna come up and just be dominant the whole way through there's only a few people i've done kershaw is one of them he's came up and he 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 got after it but it's gonna be one of those situations the next month and a half they're gonna put them in situations where they're gonna grow and the veteran guys, you know, I think they're very fortunate to have Kershaw, who's arguably, you know, in the modern era, one of the best pitchers of all time of, of our generation. And to be able to sit down and talk to him and be able to get, you know, great pieces of nuggets from him. And I always, I always tell people, you know, we have a million pitching coaches, we have a million teammates, and everyone is throwing advice at you, especially when you first come up. I mean, it's just, it's thrown at you all the time. And you have to be able to take it and almost like you're panning for gold and sifting through things and 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 take all this information sift through it and then these nuggets are going to be presented to you and it's they're not going to all be gold they're not going to all be great but some of them you say that was a great thing that you know that's something i can relate to you know going out there and, and doing that you take all those and that's kind of what molds you into the picture you are and, and maybe the mindset you have out there is it's, it's getting these life experiences from these guys that have been through it. And I think, you know, you're not going to get much better than a Kershaw up there. And, and even a Jensen, I mean, he's been doing it for, especially for bullpen guys, he's going to be able to sit there and talk to them. And we'll get into Jensen later, but you know, you gotta, you gotta rely on those veteran guys. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's knowledge. They've not been through it. These guys have been and that, you know, it's, it's listening to your elders. I like that. Listen to your elders. So, hey, um, so one of the goals of our show is to always, uh, you know, get on the mound with Brett. And, and so today's get on the mound with Brett. I'm going to put him on the spot. I didn't cue him for this, but I'm not talking about a start because I'm sure you remember your shortest start. We can ask you that some other day. Oh, Tell it. me about the shortest appearance you've ever had. Because I love it when I'm watching a game and a guy warms up for 15 minutes and then pitches one pitch, gets the guy, gets a ground ball, and the, and the inning's over. So do you off the top of your head remember a really short outing? Um, yeah, there's a few of them. I, I can say I, I never, as a starter – I never didn't make it out of the first inning. 
That boy. I was that boy. I always made it out of the first inning because you feel for those. You sit there, yeah. you, you get stretched in the in the clubhouse, you eat your pregame meal. I mean, it's a buildup. It's a buildup for four days. And then you go out there, you warm up, you get out there, and then after a third of an inning, you're taking a shower already. It's the worst feeling in the world. You talk about a short inning. There's not a worse feeling as a, as a pitcher of sitting in the clubhouse when your team's down six to nothing and you were the, the one that was result of it. I, do, I can think of, you want to talk about the moment, my very first time pitching in Cincinnati. I got traded to Seattle uh, in the Griffey trade with Mike Cameron. Um, you know, I would say it was probably three years later, we make it back to Cincinnati and I'm like, I'm going to show the, I'm going to show the front office. They made a mistake. I'm going to, I'm going to get after it and I'm going to, I'm going to shut them down. And I go in there and I warm up, I get ready to go. The first inning, I didn't get an out till the pitcher got up, gave up a home run to Aaron Boone, gave up another home run to Aaron Boone, and then ended up giving up nine runs and two and a third innings in my first, my first time back to Cincinnati. Well, and I'm sure Aaron's probably reminded you of that since uh, he grew up in the same uh, area we did. You probably crossed paths with him. Uh, in fact, our uh, Brett mentioned Phil Nevin earlier, a high school buddy and teammate of ours is, is the third base coach for Aaron right now uh, for the Yankees. So uh, lots of exciting stuff there. Hey, before we go on to our first ever uh, poll, uh, fan feedback uh, question uh, I want to wrap up the Gonsolin and May conversation by saying hey on on social media on Twitter and Facebook on our pages hey give us some nicknames for these guys I know there's already the ginger guard name but that's kind of too easy for me and these guys they got the mullets they got the mustache at least one of them does I mean let's have some fun and give these guys cool nicknames especially because uh, the Major League Baseball uh, what, what do they call it the name weekend is this weekend Brad? Yeah, player, players weekend yeah yeah, they, they, those would be good ones. I, I can already think of a few off the top of my head, but, you know, there should be some good, some good ones out there because they both definitely have distinct looks that we can zone in on. And the mustache always opens the conversation <laughs> up and makes it more creative. So, hey, guys, our first uh, fan uh, topic they want to hear more about is actually a, a, a buddy that uh, Brett has in San Diego that he says, I thought he was the biggest Dodger fan until I remembered that Josh is the biggest Dodger <laughs> fan. I know, but it's at William Withers Four. So if you're on Twitter and you want to follow William Withers Four, uh, follow him. But he wants to know where Urias fits in. Uh, on the playoff roster. So, Brett, I'm going to kick it to you first, and then I'll give my opinion. But what do you think they do with Urias, starter or bullpen in the playoffs? Well, I think, no doubt, I think he's going into the bullpen. I, I think their starters are are solid up top, especially in a short short series to start off. Um, you only need – I mean, sometimes you only need two starters. So, um, I, I think he's going to go in, in the bullpen. You know, being a left-handed guy, he, he's even more valuable out of the bullpen. And he's been – I mean, to be honest, he's, he's been having a great year. So, to have a strong, hard-throwing left-hander out of the bullpen, I think it's a no-brainer. You need those guys to come down to match up to really shut those, those you know, especially in the late innings. You, you know, Dave likes to, Dave as and as in Dave Roberts, he likes to he likes to match up and he'll start matching up from the fourth or fifth inning. So to have those options of of different ways to go, I think it's a, I think it's a lock that he's going to be in the pen. I feel like I agree with you, and I feel like the Urias is kind of taken on the role that stripling had the last year or two where he he's he can start he can relieve but he becomes your spot uh excuse me your your long reliever out of the bullpen that you can use as a short reliever as well and like you said 
Um, he's every bit as good as Stripling in my mind. He's a lefty. I actually think, and we're going to talk about this on a later show, like how in the world do, does Doc, does Doc, does Coach Roberts, how does he put together the rotation for the playoffs? Because our top three starters have been lights out. And by the way, last year in the playoffs, the guy, the number four starter was the best of the four. So, so he's got some questions to answer. Uh, I don't want to give that away on this show, but let's talk about Urias. So what else do you think about Urias? What do you look for, Brett? Well, I think uh, I mean, we talked about, you know, Gonsolin and May. Uh, here, Urias is a prime example of that. This kid's come up. He was a starter. He was a starter most of his career, not, all, not maybe all of his career. And he comes up, but now he's in the bullpen, and he's doing a great job. And, and I'm sure there was an adjustment, but, you know, I always said pitching is pitching. You know, as soon as you get out there, it's pitching. You got to make strike. You got to throw pitches. You got to throw strikes. You got to go after guys. Um, I think he's going to be instrumental really in, when it comes down to the playoffs. Cause you know, they added a left-hander at the deadline. Um, so to have two left-handers in the bullpen, um, you know, you can use them in different ways. I think Urias is, is, is a guy that can come out and challenge guys and strike people out and be that, you know, picture that if, if, if runners are on base that you can rely on to go out there and punch guys out and get you out of innings. So um, I think he's going to be a, a massive part of what's going to happen this, this playoff run. So I have a, a short-term comment, long-term comment about Urias and, and kind of playing off of what you said. Short-term, again, from my seat on my couch in my backyard watching just about every game start to finish, um, I feel like that I'm on the same page with Doc, uh, with Dave Roberts on this, that that I don't, I hate to see Urias come in for one lefty because he's too good. You know what I mean? And that's no disrespect to, to the other lefties, but Urias, he, he's the guy that when you got three out of four or three out of five lefties coming up, that's when I'd bring him in. And I've seen him used in that way. So that's my first thought because he is, he's potentially everybody as good as these four starters. There's just not room for him yet. And he needs a little more time under his belt. The long-term thing I like about Urias, and I see the Dodgers doing this position wise with Bellinger uh, and with Muncie, you can't go get expensive free agents or, or re-sign a, uh, a JT and a Jansen in the same year like you did two years ago and re-sign Kershaw this year unless you have four, three or four young guys that are playing. And, and it, Belly's MVP candidate, and he's, he's making league minimum for a second-year guy. And, and I love the fact that the Dodgers, that formula seems to be consistent because one year getting away from that kills your team for years, right? Right, but that, I mean, that's, that's how championship teams are built. Um, you know, you have your veteran guys, you have your young guys that are superstars or, or in the makings of superstars. And then you have the glue guys, you have all those guys that are, that are role guys that are, are that are just going out there and they're grinding and they're not, they're not, you know, they're not hitting 330. They're not doing that stuff. And that's how you build championship teams. You know, eventually Bellinger and all those guys, they're going to start making more money and they're going to, there's going to be decisions to be made. And, and, and that's, I think when it comes down to strategy of the front office and and how you really build a team but that's how you win championships right now the Yankees were fortunate back in the day they had an unlimited budget you know when it when when the budgets weren't as high as they were so they could go out there but they still had the young guys that came up and the Scott Brocious at third base that were the glue and that's 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 why you win championships you have superstars you have young guys that come up that make a splash and you have glue guys so that reminded me of a, of a 1998 Dodgers story. My brother, Matt Luke, his locker uh, was right next to Gary Sheffield's. And, and on opening day when Matt made the team, the paper was you know talking about a local boy does good here in Southern California, made the team. And that his um, annual salary for the year in Major League Minimum was less than what Sheffield was making per game. So, so there's a, a good illustration there. of that. 
Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's, that's the game. And that's those guys, you know, those guys got to come up and it doesn't matter what you're making. It doesn't matter if you're making 35 million a year or you're making 500. When you step out on that field or you step on that mound, you're all equal. And that's the thing. It's like when I, back in the day, when I was facing a rod, it didn't matter that he was making $20 million a year and I was making whatever I was making. I had to get him out. So that stuff's off the table. So it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's about putting the right pieces in place down the stretch run to make your team the best they can make them. And I think that's a great point. Uh, when you look at the Dodgers right now, uh, the young crop, as you said, is just as valuable as those uh, veterans they signed and paid a little bit. Um, so at the all-star break, I, got, I was hanging out with my brother. We live, we live nearby each other. We hang out quite a bit, but we got to talk a little baseball. And I said, Hey, you know, and he knows I watch more than he does. Although of course, like you, but he knows way more about baseball than I did. Cause he stood in the outfield for, you know, 182 games a year for about 15 years. So a little more exposure than me, but I said, he said, what do you think? I said, we need production out of catching. And I, they got to bring Will Smith up. The guy's hitting, uh, they got to bring him up. I love Barnsey, but he just, he's more of a bench guy and, and he, he didn't, didn't really seize the moment. And Russell Martin, great veteran. And, and I know you and Matt have both always said to me, you got to have that veteran presence when you're going to make a run. And I think Russell brings that, which is why I knew he'd be there. But Will Smith coming up for the playoffs, how do you think that's going so far? It looks good from the offensive side for sure. Well, I mean, I, I think you hit it on the head. And, and that's, that's something I really want to talk about was Russell Martin and the impact that he's going to have to have on, on the younger generation. And Russell, I was there when Russell came up. And, and Russ was a rookie. He was young. And he came – you couldn't be more kind of a mirror image of what's going on. And, and, you know, especially being a catcher, you're, you're kind of controlling the game. You're controlling the pitching staff. You're controlling the tempo of the game. And to be a young guy coming up, I mean, you, I mean, honestly, I'd be, I'd be frightened to come up there right away and have, you know, Kershaw thrown at me. You're talking about, like I said, like the Sandy Koufax of our day coming up there. So I think Russ will be a great, you know, grounding influence, if anything goes on, you can go to Russ and go, hey, you know, this was the situation. What did I do? What did I do wrong? What should I have done better? And Russ, you can't put a price on experience. You just can't do it. Russ, Russ has been through everything. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things that's, that's such an invaluable um, resource for him. And it, it's only going to pay off in his future. And, and on a side note, Will Smith, like how cool is coming up to the big leagues with a name like Will Smith? I mean, seriously, like, that's like a dream thing. We should, we should do a poll one day if, if, if what walk-up song should he do? I mean, it, it's one of those things. I know if I was name was Will Smith, I'd be pretty pumped to come up. That was the big headline when he came up. Uh, is it get jiggy with I, it or summertime? I got jiggy with it. I think. Yeah, so, yeah, they were, they were playing that, I think, in his debut at uh, a walk-off or something along those lines. So, he, I mean, he's done, I mean, he's done great. Uh, with with coming especially right off the bat I mean you couldn't have drawn it up a better way for him to come up to say hey I'm here I'm here for the stretch this is my job to lose now and he I mean he's done a tremendous job hey guys as listeners it's been a privilege for me to grow up with a brother that played in the majors a buddy like Brett um, you know Phil Nevin run into him every couple years and just hang out and in here their positions on baseball and the one thing that I've heard consistently and I think with age I, I I've learned to to say hey you know all the guys I know that played in the show seem to focus on this way more than the average fan does veteran presence veteran presence when it comes to 
down the stretch in the postseason, every pitch counts, every pitch is tight. And, and you just heard it from Brett that, that Russell, and I, again, I see it too with Russell, his role the other night he hit that game winning hit. It was, it was a, a soft ground ball at the middle that scored two runs. And, and what I love about the chemistry of the Dodgers is this is another thing. I'm in my late forties that I've learned from just listening to, to Brett and Matt and some of my, some of Matt's teammates that I was fortunate to hang out in the locker room with growing up that chemistry is a, a real thing and the Dodgers have it. And you know what I I've learned and Brett, you can talk a little bit about this, but I've learned that I, as a fan can also sense when there's good chemistry and when there's not um, the Dodgers have great chemistry. You can see that. Well, yeah, chemistry. I mean, it, it's one of those things that can be talked about and, and it's, it's not a tangible thing that you can really grasp onto. Um, but it exists. I mean, there's teams that I've been into great teams. I mean, on paper, um, I mean, uh, when I was in LA, um, you know, we had Nomar, we had Jeff Kent, we had Luis Gonzalez. It's when Kemp came up, Russell. On paper, there's no reason we shouldn't have been up there. But for some reason, the chemistry amongst it just wasn't wasn't as present as it should have been, um, for whatever reason. Um, but I had been on teams in Cincinnati in '99 where. I mean, Barry Larkin and Reggie Sanders were our two biggest name guys. And other than that, it was a hodgepodge of people, a Willie Green, a Hal Morris. I mean, guys that were, they were names, but they weren't superstars in that aspect. But we went to the, we went to the one game playoff for the wild card. And there was no reason we should have been there, but we had great team chemistry. We were off days. We were at Barry Larkin's house, barbecues. And that goes a long ways. We're, what people don't understand is we're with our team more than we are with our families during the season. I would see those guys more than I would see my wife, you know, when I was playing or, or my kids and, and they become your family. And, and if you're, if you're playing together and you're going out to eat together and you're hanging together, when you get on the field, that translates, you want to see the other guys do good. You want to see guys have success and you're going to, you're going to be rooting for those guys. So before we wrap up this this bullpen focus show, I want to I want to stop right there. He he said something. So I remember sitting in class with Brett or or sitting at basketball practice with Brett. Barry Larkin was like a Hall of Famer when we were in high school. Okay, and we yeah. looked up to him. What was it like the day you walked into the locker room and you're on his team? I mean, I always I, thought that's got to be the strangest a, thing. I got a, a well, he was great. But my my first Barry Larkin encounter was was spring training. And uh, I walk in to go to the bathroom. You know, men's urinals are all side by side, like kind of how like we meet all the time. Um, I, I am my first spring training. I'm in major league camp and I go up and Barry Larkin's going to the bathroom and I'm going to the bathroom right next to him. And I can't, I just keep thinking like, dude, I'm going to the bathroom next, right next to Barry Larkin. <laughs> like, so, so it was one of those things. Like it was one of those moments where you're like, dude, this is crazy. But in terms of the presence that he had, he was the guy that kept everyone together we were going to Barry's house on off days. We were going to dinner with Barry. Um, if, if you had a game where it didn't go your way, he was always the first one good or bad that if I was shagging in BP the day after come up and be like, Hey, Tommy, how you doing? How's it going? How you feeling? And whether good or bad. I mean, the bad days, you knew what he was trying to do. He was coming out there to kind of see where your mindset was to know how you were doing. And to me, that's the leader. That's the guy. That's a Kershaw. That's a Jensen that if for the bullpen, those are the guys that they have a pulse of what's going on and are respected amongst the players enough because it's their team. So if those guys are going up and they're just checking in and making sure everyone's head is where they need to be at, that was a Barry Larkin. 
but not every team has that veteran leader that assumes that role, right? Because I'm sure you played on teams where there weren't. I don't, you don't need to necessarily name anybody, but but I think you did a Let's good. Go down the checklist. No. <laughs> <laughs> you did a good job explaining what a huge difference it makes. So I know when my brother was playing with the Dodgers, Piazza and Caros were there, and of course I grew up, you know thinking they were both great. And I remember going, Hey, let's go talk to them. And he goes, no, 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 you, you don't do that, man. You got to respect them and stuff like that. So it's, it's something like Jeff Kent, like Jeff Kent was, I, I love Jeff Kent and I don't know how he's received in the Dodger world. He should be great. But that was one guy too. He wasn't, he wasn't that veteran presence all the time. And if Jeff spoke up, everyone stopped when he did talk it wasn't very often, but if it was a clubhouse meeting, say we were on a slide and we weren't, and he stood up and started talking, there was some oomph behind it. And you knew it was like he had something to say, but the day to day, he wasn't there talking to everyone. And that, that's okay. That wasn't the role he wanted to have. You hope that there's other guys, a Nomar or a Luis Gonzalez, they were great at that. So it, it's like, not everybody's built for that. You know, not, not everyone's the guy that's going to be standing up every meeting and, and that's okay. But you know, you need somebody that's kind of that guy. Trevor Hoffman in San Diego was the guy for me. I mean, he was great. But most of the time, I would say most of the time, each team has one guy that's looked up to, and he's kind of the guy that's looked upon for the veteran presence for when things aren't going good to be like, hey, what do we need to do? So did you ever fill that role as a veteran, or were there? did you never feel it was the right opportunity? I mean, not really in the big leagues. Um, you know, I, I, I think – being a journeyman, I always bounce around. So, you know, it was, it was short stints. It was two years here or three years or one year. So I never really had the roots planted. I think with, you know, playing long enough, you get, you get a little bit more respect because of what you have done. The times I spent in the minor leagues towards the end of my career, I broke my shoulder in, in 2009. We could always go into that one show, but you know, I spent time in the minor leagues and I was the veteran guy in the minor leagues. And I took that role, you know, as a Barry Larkin or a Trevor or somebody like that would have been the big leagues, but I was in the mind, I was in AAA at that point and I, I, I signed up for it and it was great. I loved it. And it was, it's, it's experience. It's, it's just talking out of experience, things good or bad that have happened to you and, and being able to relate to what's going on with what they're going through and just, and talk it out. You almost become like a psychologist. So I should know this. I'm going to age myself here, but did you ever play with Griffey or did you guys swap teams? We swapped. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, I did some stuff for like a couple camps of his, but we never got to play on the same team. Interesting. Well, it's better to have him on your team than pitching against him, I imagine. He got me a couple times. So, <laughs> so guys, we can't do a Dodger bullpen show without talking about Kenley Jansen, our closer. Um, recently, he gave up two runs in the ninth against the Diamondbacks, blew the save. Um, at that time, after that game, uh, in 44 appearances, 25 saves, six blown saves, his ERA is 3.83 with a whip of 1.07. The reason I mention those stats is because if you compare him to the prior year, uh, his ERA was 3.01, it's up to 3.8. Um, in 17, the year the Dodgers were just dominant, um, his ERA was actually 1.32. I mean, that's crazy, right, to have that great of an ERA. So his numbers – little by little have been coming up but since becoming the closer the only other year he had a whip over one was in 2014 and his whip right now uh is 1.07 that's a really strong whip it just seems that with six blown saves it's always exaggerated when you're a closer right yeah and that and that's the thing it's it, when this was all going on and we started talking about doing this and one of the topics was we we're going to kind of dive into this a little bit i i 
And I had even made comments like, oh man, he's not the same guy that he was. And, you know, trying to back that up, I, I did a little bit deeper dive into kind of what was going on in stats. And I, I've, I've, I wanted to try to like, well, I don't want to say hate on him, but like kind of jump on like, yeah, well, maybe he's not the same guy. But the more I looked at his stats and the more I dove into it, you know, it, it's, it's deceiving. And I think as a starter, especially a one inning guy, or I mean a reliever, a one inning guy, it's so hard. He's got two outings that he threw, I think a third of an inning, gave up four, and there was a two thirds of an inning where he gave up three. If you take those seven runs and you eliminate them, his ERA drops under three. And so if you look at his ERAs in the year past, one eight, one three, one eight three, those 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 don't happen very often. You talk about, you know, those those years that are just special and magical. But the other years, the two point two thousand fourteen, two point seven six, like you wouldn't say he was slipping. You wouldn't say that he's not the same pitcher as he was. So like to really start thinking about it and 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 to say like, oh, what are we gonna do? He's not he's not the guy he was. I think stuff-wise, maybe not the same as he was, but he's still getting the job done. When it comes to closers, and if you really started talking about it, I heard people saying they should go out and get another closer. And it's like, to say that, I'm like, there's no way. You're talking, well, you're talking about a face, one of the faces of the franchise, and he's, he's, he's the leader, and, and, and he's the big money guy in the bullpen. And to go out, and this is how I, I, I think about it, if he was on a different team that wasn't in contention, he would be a guy that teams were going after. He would be like a Sanchez from Toronto guy. Oh, this guy's available. We got to get him. He's going to be the guy that's going to shut down, shut down the teams for the playoffs. But he's under such a microscope because it's getting down to the nitty gritty and playoff times and what happened last year. You know, it was, it was rough. It was rough playoffs and it was exacerbated by home runs. And I think, I don't know what your opinion is, but I'll give you a chance to that. But I think there's a few things of why people think this. I'd be interested to hear what you think. So it's Los Angeles and everything's exaggerated. <laughs> and I really think the exaggeration of Kenley's struggle started in game two of the 2017 World Series when I was sitting on my couch and just waiting three more minutes till we were up 2-0. And it was a Gary L that hit an opposite field home run. And he didn't even hit it. it like when you saw him hit it, you're like, oh, that's a fly ball to right center. And it got out, and I just I looked at my my kid, and I went, "Oh my gosh, the game's tied now. What just happened?" You know, and that I mentioned in one of the other shows that there were two games in 2017 that that took you know made us even though we're the best team all year, we weren't the best team when it counted in the World Series because there was two games that got away from us, Game Two, and then the, the softball game that was like 13 to 12 in Kershaw. If you could have just kept them under eight, we would have been good, right? So here's what you said that that's dawned upon me. Kenley is the one of the faces of the franchise, certainly the bullpen face, okay? Um, he's earned the respect, and he's earned it. Not just gotten, he's earned it. But I also think, uh, in watching as much as I do, that as the playoffs come, Doc is not going to be afraid to put him in in the eighth in a non-closed situation and maybe bring Urias in if the lineup is sets up that way, if there's righties and lefties. And that's a real stretch, but I also would think Doc will def that that one might be a stretch, but the one that I don't think is a stretch is to pull him for a lefty. So you're telling me instead of Jensen closing the game, you have Urias close the game? No, I'm, oh. what I'm saying is if the matchups come where they have three or four righties and then a lefty, or it's the heart of the lineup. You know, the whole reason they started this, uh, what do they call it, the the gap starter thing that people right. do. Um, 
uh, here's my point. I might be pushing a little far, but my point is this. Doc wouldn't be afraid to pull him in a safe situation with one or two outs in the ninth, even if he's doing good, if he thought the matchup was better. And, and I know that's tough to do, too. I, I, I love your reaction because you're going to disagree with me, and that's what makes good radio, I'm right? Good right now. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I, I believe that, that Doc's learned enough the last two years in the World Series, you know, getting that close, that if he thinks the right move is to put somebody else in, even if it's a safe situation and Kinley's doing okay, I think he will. Tell me, tell me what you think about that. I, I, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I don't know if I'm bo on board with that. I could see him like he's used him before. It's the sixth inning, and it's, to me, the game is on the line. That's the save situation, and that's something that Doc has almost – no one else was doing that. And – you know, it, it, if, if that's the point that the game is on the line, yeah, you put him in. Fortunately, you know, somebody like um, Kelly. Uh, Joe Kelly. Yeah, Joe Kelly. Uh, some, he's, he's, he's come back. He's, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit, but he's having a great year. He's got closer type stuff. So, you know, I think now Doc's got the luxury that if he does have to put a Jansen in earlier in the, in the game, he's got a guy with closer type stuff that he can down, you know, in the ninth inning go to. I don't know. I, I don't think he's going to match up with Jensen specifically in terms of like, like that. That'd be a stretch for me. I don't, I think there would be too many questions to answer if, if things didn't go right. Um, you know, answering a question that if he goes in and blows a save, that's an easy thing. He's our closer. So I, I time will tell on that stuff, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's not as, it's not as big a deal as I think as it's being made. He's still a top-notch closer. I think the big thing, and this is, this is what I really want to talk about, it's, it's the stuff. He doesn't have the 96-mile-an-hour cutter that he used to. And I think he's always been a guy that's effectively wild, effectively wild in the strike zone. It's like a roller coaster sometimes when he goes in there. He'll, you know, it, it'll be a bloop. There'll be bases loaded, and he'll punch out three. And, it's, and I think that's where the – uncertainty with the fans are coming because it's always a high pressure high situation inning it's not there's not there's not a ton of like just clean innings you go in there and it's like boom 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 so I, I think got, people are worried but stuff wise the 96 cutter you can get away with stuff being effectively wild you can leave it up in the zone and and and, and throw it by people but the situation he is now and what he's going to have to learn down the stretch run and Kershaw's having learned it right now he doesn't have the velocity he used to He's using other pitches more and understand that 92 that cuts, it's got to be placed a little bit better. That was the thing in the bullpen with Mariano in, in 2009. Here's a guy that was towards the end of his career. Not that Jensen's toward the ends of his career, but his stuff had, it wasn't the same as it was. So his cutter, he rarely missed a spot and he knew that. And if he had 91, he was going to hit a spot with that cutter. And I think Kenley's not at that, at that point yet where he's trusted enough to, to really dial in and hit spots. He's always been able to get away with, I'm going to rear back. I'm going to fire this 96 mile an hour cutter and wherever it goes, it's cutting and it's hard. There's two chances to miss it. And I think, you know, he's given up more hits this year, not a ton, but he's given up more hits. He hasn't been walking a whole lot more. So it's just, I think his, he's behind in the count a little bit and, and it's just more hittable, but I, I, I'm not panicking. I was, when we talked about it earlier, thinking like, I don't know. I don't know if he's the guy. I don't know. But when I really look at it, I, I, I think he's enough of a veteran. And we've been, that's kind of been the theme, the whole thing. He's a veteran. He's got to go out there and get it done. He's just been in a situation last, last year and a couple times this year. He's gotten beat by the long ball. And it just, 
that stuff happens and everyone's going to put up the red flags and saying, Oh, we're in trouble now. And I think Kaylin does a good job of owning and he puts it on himself when, when he doesn't get the job done. I think you said it a lot more eloquently than I did, which is Dave's going to use him in the way that he thinks he's going to best help him win games. And I think that's the, the point. It may not be a save. It may be a partial save. It, it may be in the sixth inning. The bottom line is to win ball games. And I think that's what's going to happen. And, and I think you also pointed out, um, yeah, in L.A., everything's exaggerated. And when you're a closer, the game's always on the line when you're a closer. So I want to uh, wrap up this show with, with uh, kind of something interesting that you might not know. Um, Brett's brother, Scott, was quite the ball player in his own rank, and, and he and I play fantasy baseball together, and Scott wins every year. We've been playing for 25 years with high school guys, and Scott just dominates, right? And this year I'm actually neck and neck with him. But Brett immediately went to a stat that I think his brother and I are, are two of the only guys in our league, I think, that reference these stats a lot. I go to the game log a lot because I want to see if there's one or two aberrations, right, or outliers, whatever the word you want to use is. But I also go to the last 28 days a lot in the last 21 days and look at those stats because sometimes you look at one year, three years, and all that stuff, and it really doesn't mean much, right? And so I, with Kenley, okay, Kenley, it's one pitch sometimes. You know, if you – walk a guy, guy gets a little, you know, seeing eye single. That's not even the one pitch. It's the one pitch after that that the guy hits out of the yard that changes everything. Well, that's like the last, the last blown save. It was a blooper, and then it was a home run. It was a fast 92-mile-an-hour cutter that missed the spot up in the zone a little bit, and the guy just flipped it out to, to right field. It, 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 you're talking one pitch. The, it, I think people don't understand like the, the, the line between getting it done and not getting is so fine. It's so fine. It's, I mean, the, a mistake at the top of your mechanics, that's a quarter of an inch off by the time it gets to home plate, it's a foot. So it's like to be on that, that much all the time, it's not easy. So it, it's one of those things. I, I don't think his adjustments need to be huge. I just think it, it's, it's more about just being fine in the strike zone and hitting spots in those crucial situations. Easier said than done. It's not a thing, especially in a high, high – he's in the highest pressure situation that you can be in as a closer for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Doc shows him great respect. And, in fact, he rolled him back out there the next day in a non-safe situation, and he had a great outing. They won 4 to nothing that day. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. I know uh, you spent a, a good part of your career, and, and you lived down in San Diego with the Padres. Um, did you see earlier in the year when Renfro took him, hit a grand slam to win the game? And even as the hugest Dodger fan who just spent like four hours on my couch on a Sunday with my family watching the game, I just stood up and I turned the TV off and walked away. And my wife always says, you're, you're, you're always in a bad mood when the Dodgers lose. She goes, why aren't you in a bad mood? I'm all, you got to hand it to that guy. He just, he hit a grand slam with the game on the line. And there's nothing you can, it's one pitch, you know? Right. That's, that reminds me of, uh, I was in San Francisco when Finley hit the grand slam against us um to clinch the 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 division and that was the thing like I walked away I was super mad but then as a fan I was like maybe I'm on the opposite spectrum of you I was I was now going home I wasn't going to the playoffs I was like I had goosebumps and like you know as a fan I was like that's such a cool thing right there grand slam walk it off but yeah it, it's one of those things it's baseball is going to happen some days you're going to get it done some days you're not yeah just as a closer you got to have a short memory so, guys, this show is uh, probably longer than most of ours will be because there's plenty to talk about with the Dodger bullpen as we approach October. But uh, this is the uh, wrapping up episode two of Believe in Dodgers uh, with the Dodger dudes, uh, Brett Tomko and Josh Luke. Thanks for tuning in, Brett. Thanks for sharing all those great stories today. Yeah, can't wait till next time.
Thanks for tuning in to the Dodger Dudes Show with the former Dodger pitcher Brett Tomko and Josh the Duker Luke. Whether you're at the stadium, on your couch, or at work, don't forget to interact with the hosts on social media at the Dodger Dudes on Twitter and Facebook. That's the Dodger Dudes on both Twitter and Facebook. Check out other SoCal sports podcasts at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Now go vote on our Twitter and Facebook fan poll and tune in again soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.